Amen. Thank you for inviting me here this morning. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for several weeks. This is like 25 or 30 year history that I have with Bethel Christian Fellowship of praying with the area pastors on Tuesday mornings with Jim Olson as he led that for many years. And then, uh, you know, Bethel Christian Fellowship has supported the work of InterVarsity at McAllister College and Hamlin University these many years. And I do remember 30 years ago, there was this young radical, he had long hair, his name was Andrew Gross, and he uh, insisted we pray before we started every conversation, every meeting. So I really respected that. And then he met this woman uh, named Sarah, and then the rest is history. So hi, Andrew and Sarah. And there was this uh, woman 15 years ago named uh, Cherry Monge. And she uh, was served as my administrative assistant for a year. And she was way more competent than the things I was giving her to do. So good to see Cherry this morning. And then maybe about a decade ago, I got this email from Nairobi, Kenya. I didn't know these people, but I'd heard of them. It was uh, Erasmussen. And uh, the Erasmussen's were writing to ask me if they thought I sh they should send their kids to McAllister College. And I said, well, maybe <laughs> if they're strong in the Lord, yeah, send them and they can be missionaries here. Uh, if not, you might want to find a different option. Well, both Hannah Rasmussen and Justin Rasmussen came and served as student leaders in our ministry there, and that's just been a wonderful relationship, and now I'm friends with the Rasmussens, and in fact, we're in touch with one of their other kids, uh, Rachel, down at the University of Chicago. Uh, so excited for that. These days, I serve as a traveling evangelist and apologist, speaker for uh, InterVarsity, and I'm an evangelism trainer, and that's how you got me doing evangelism training here at BCF Upcoming. Well, when I'm on the road, we do these sessions called Stump the Chump, and I'm the chump, so I got home Friday night from the University of Montana. There was a group of 30 students that asked the chump, me in this case, I'm the chump, asked the chump uh, questions for three hours uh, Thursday night and Friday morning. Let me give you a little sampling. One was, uh, why don't we Protestants have the Apocrypha in our Bible? Why did just the Catholics have the Apocrypha? I couldn't believe someone actually asked that question. Another one was, uh, well, why pray if God already knows what our prayers are going to be? If he already knows what I'm going to say, if he already knows what's on my heart, then why even pray? He's the Lord. I'm just this finite human being. Why go through the trouble? Another one, and I get this one a lot, is what does the Bible say about uh, LGBTQ? Get that question a lot. So that was 10% of the questions that came. There's probably 30 questions that students asked. And it just reminded me that students really do have questions. And I think it's our job as the church to provide a place for them to talk through those questions. Otherwise, their questions may never get dealt with and can come back to haunt them later. Well, this morning we're talking about evangelism. I was doing evangelism at the University of Montana this week. This morning we're talking about evangelism, and I want to suggest to you that we're all called to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. All called to be witnesses. But we have barriers, don't we, to engaging in that activity. And let me just name uh, three of those. One barrier for us is, uh, well, we, we'll often say, I hear this, evangelism is not my gift. It's not my thing. 
I'm more suited for working behind the scenes, or I'm more suited for issues of justice, or I'm more suited for uh, music, or what have it be, but I'm not an evangelist. In fact, I wouldn't know what to say if I got in that situation. Uh, I can sympathize with that uh, objection, and it really does become a barrier for us. Or we have a fear of offending other people. Like, I don't want to lose this relationship. And if I bring up the idea of God, it could damage that relationship. I don't want to, f I don't want to have this conflict. I don't want my relationships to be marked by conflict over religion. Or a third barrier these days is just the political climate in America is a barrier for us to talking about God because then we're seen in a certain light and the church has a certain reputation and people think ill of the church and I'm part of the church so I don't want to bring it up and that can be difficult uh, for us as well. Each year I work at Rice University in uh, Houston, Texas and we do a, uh, a panel discussion with the, uh, a Muslim. It's myself and uh, Fahad to Slim. And Fahad's a good guy. I really like him. So MSA, that being uh, Muslim Student Association and InterVarsity, co-sponsor this dialogue. Uh, and it's just so odd to see the difference in the demeanor, let's say, of MSA. These students are proud to be Muslims. They know that Muslims in another part of the world are messing things up in a bad way. They accept that. And they stand up, they're very friendly toward me, and honestly, the Christians are a bit demure, almost ashamed of being there, almost ashamed of representing the church, which they fear has a kind of ugly reputation in America, and then a contrast between those two groups. Now, when I get behind the scenes and I'm with the Christians, these are wonderful folks, and uh, they do believe in Jesus and are strong in their faith and everything, but kind of the public persona, it's amazing the difference between the two groups. And so the political climate then does become a barrier, I think, for us to share the faith with others. Well, how can we overcome the barrier, these barriers? I think we need to look to the scriptures. We need to look to the Bible for examples for us to move forward in witness, to move forward in evangelism. So I'd like to... Uh, talk about the Apostle Paul today and his witness. You know, Paul worked in teams. I think we often think of evangelism as an individual endeavor. Like, I'm in my sphere, my home, my neighborhood, the workplace, recreation, and it's sort of me against the world. But Paul worked in teams. So one of his team was Paul Barnabas. John, Mark, and Silas. What a great team. And then that team kind of morphed. There was a conflict in that team. Fancy that. There was conflict in the team, and so then the team morphed into Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. So Paul's second missionary journey is what we're going to talk about today. And so we have a map of that. Uh, this is parts of Acts 15 through 18, Paul's second missionary journey. And you'll notice on the map that it's a big loop. So it starts kind of in the uh, right side, the top right, where that red line is. And that's Antioch. And then they go west. So go left uh, through Galatia. And then they cross the Aegean Sea into Macedonia. 
And then they go south to Greece, and then Paul ends up crossing the Aegean Sea again, back to Ephesus in Asia Minor, and then down, he sails to Jerusalem, you'll notice, and then he goes back up to Antioch. So it's this big loop, and we're going to be in Acts 16 today. In Acts 16, uh, Paul is traveling across Galatia. He's moving left to right. He's moving west, traveling toward Macedonia and toward Philippi. So let's read the text. Acts 16, 11 through 15. We set sail from Troas and made a straight run to Samothrace. On the following day, we reached Neapolis, and from there we sailed to Philippi, a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We spent some time in that city. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate alongside the river where we assumed there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. One of the women, whose name was Lydia, was a worshiper of God. She was from the city of Theatira and a dealer in purple cloth. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us insistently, if you regard me as a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she won us over. So here's Paul and his companions in Philippi, this leading district of Macedonia. And Philippi, it's a Roman colony. So you have Roman citizens here in Macedonia. Its citizens are loyal to Rome. Uh, Roman law is, uh, is ruling there, as it is in the whole Roman Empire. But these citizens enjoyed some of the privileges of being Roman citizens. So they had certain tax breaks. And there was a way to do a land transfer and land ownership. Uh,
smaller voice, hail Jesus, hail the Lord of the universe. And you're going to end up with a clash of hails here. The hail clash. The emperor and the king. But we're quiet about the king here. We're just getting started in this worship of the true king. And we find out later on in the book of Philippians that there really is opposition to the gospel in Philippi. And you can read about that in the first chapter of Philippians, verses 28 through 30. So this clash really does come to fruition. Well, they speak to the women. It's on the Sabbath. Paul and his companions, there's probably not a synagogue in Philippi, we're not sure. And so they go down to the river to find a place of prayer. And they come to a place of prayer and witness breaks out. And it just reminds me that witness fits anywhere. It certainly fits in prayer. Verse 13, we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. So they're there to pray, but witness breaks out. And these women are likely Jews, uh, except one. One for sure is not Jewish, that being Lydia. But Paul speaks to her anyway. And we see in the book of Galatians, Paul writes elsewhere, that for him there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. Paul will talk to anybody. Paul will talk to anybody. So this Lydia... Who is she? Well, this text tells us that she's a businesswoman. She's a woman of means. She's a dealer in purple cloth, and she's a homeowner. She has a household. She's probably a single woman. And she had begun taking an interest in the God of the Jews, in Judaism, and she had become a worshiper of Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And so she was taking part in this prayer meeting along with the other Jewish women, even though she herself was a Gentile. And then verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. The Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. And she comes to faith. Hey, this seems easy enough. You just speak up and God does the rest. But there's actually a backstory to this story that is vital for our learning. There's a setup to how this whole thing came to be. And I'd like to talk about that setup here for a few minutes. So we're going to back up now, back into Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. Acts 16, 6 through 10. Let's see what the, the ramp up is to this conversion of Lydia. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. A great vision. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul's second missionary journey here, this big loop, it's a spirit-guided endeavor. It's a spirit-guided mission. He was thinking about going south into Turkey, into Asia, and the spirit wouldn't let him. 
And then he was thinking about, well, let's go north into Bithynia. And the Spirit wouldn't let him. He's responding to the Spirit. He's being led here by the Spirit. And then verse 9, a vision of this man of Macedonia. This is the famous Macedonian calling, it's called, where the gospel first goes to Europe. And Paul gets this vision and he concludes, well, the Spirit didn't let me go to Asia in the south, didn't let me go to Bithynia in the north, but we are headed west. We're going to cross the Aegean Sea and we're going into Macedonia. This was a calling from God. So, I think what's just awesome about this passage is that the Lord was already in Macedonia. God was already at work in Philippi. God arrives in Macedonia before Paul ever got there. So this text and Lydia's conversion, I want to suggest, isn't really about Paul's persuasive powers. I'm sure he's persuasive. But at times we see in the Gospels that he's not known as an eloquent speaker. This isn't about Paul's persuasive powers and being a great evangelist. This is about God getting there ahead of time and preparing the ground so when Paul does come, that's when the conversion happens. Here's what Colossians 4.3 says. Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And this suggests a kind of theology of evangelism for us that I want to suggest to you. A theology of evangelism, and we use this on campus all the time, is that God goes before us. Okay? A theology of evangelism. Like, what are we trying to do here? God goes before us. This isn't about us taking the gospel to the world as important as that is. This is about God already out in the world calling us to him, calling us to what he's doing, calling us to Macedonia, to Philippi, to your neighborhood, and to mine. Well, if our theology of evangelism is that God goes before us, then what is our job? I want to say that our first two jobs might not be what you're thinking. Our first job is discernment. Our first job is to discern what God is already doing. So think about that. I go out into the field. I go to Mendicota Golf Course where I play golf. Let's just take that for an example. And instead of me bringing the gospel to Mendicota, First, I do research. First, I discern what is God already doing in this place? And how can I participate in what he's doing? So if job one is discernment in evangelism, job two is take a risk. Climb out of the boat. Walk on water. Jesus is already out there. Walking on the waves. And he is beckoning me. He's beckoning you to come out and take a risk, to climb out of the boat, to walk on water, and to do the work that he's already doing, to participate in the activity, in the ministry that he is already conducting. Well, that's 
way different than some of the evangelism training that I received probably a long time ago, where it was kind of about technique and turning the conversation in a certain way. And we'll get to that in a second. But I just want to give you an illustration of how this happened in a pretty amazing way in my life. It's about, uh, I don't know, three, four years ago, I was at an NFL uh, charity event at a big hotel, fancy hotel in downtown Minneapolis. And I had been listening on the radio to a man named Paul Allen. And Paul Allen is the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, the radio voice of the Minnesota Vikings. So if you're a Vikings fan, you've heard Paul Allen or heard of him many times. Well, I get to this NFL charity event and uh, Sharon and I, uh, oh, hi, Sharon. <laughs> I forgot to introduce you this morning. My wife, Sharon, is with me. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I'm really glad you showed up with me today. So, <laughs> Sharon and I are at the uh, silent auction area because it's a fundraiser. And I'm looking over the, the golf offerings, of course. And Sharon's going, no, 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 no. But I'm going, yes, yes, yes. And then I get this prompting from the Lord to go talk to Paul Allen. And I'd been praying for him as I listened to him on the radio because he has a show on KFN. And I had thought I had detected some spiritual interest or openness on the part of Paul Allen as I was listening to him on the radio. So I was getting this prompting and I said to Sharon, I think I need to go talk to Paul Allen. And so I, I turned my body and just, he was about 50 feet away, just as I turned to go speak to him, he left with a group of celebrities. Apparently, I'm not one of the celebrities. So I couldn't, and so I went back to my perusing of the silent auction items, and I said to the Lord, I must have heard you wrong. I thought I had a prompting from you to go talk to Paul Allen. Maybe not. Now, that's pretty typical of me. Like, I don't always get it right. You know, you get this prompt, and was it last night's pizza, or was it really the Lord? And who knows? Well, Five minutes later, he comes back and he's signing autographs and he's getting his picture taken with his fans. I'm a fan. So I hustle over there. I stand in line. I get my picture taken with Paul Allen. And then I got out of the boat and took a risk. And I turned to him and I said, I just want you to know how much I appreciate what you do really for the state of Minnesota. And I want you to know that whenever I hear you on the radio, I pray for you. And I pray that God would bless you and that you would flourish as an announcer and in your family and your home. And I just want to know how much you appreciate what you do. Well, then the world stopped. And Paul Allen looked at me. And he said, man, that is the nicest thing anyone has said to me in a long time. I said, I don't want to take any more of your time. You've got other fans lined up here. I just want you to be blessed. Take care. Have a good evening. I went back over to the silent auction area. Sharon and I are looking at the golf events. Guess who comes and chases me down five minutes later after he'd been with all these people over there? Brings his girlfriend over here. He says, hey, Lisa, I want to introduce you to this guy. He just said the nicest thing anyone has said to me in a long time. And he looked at me and he said, I you know, appreciate what you said and appreciate the prayers. And I said, well, your friend, Greg Coleman, I'm not good friends with him, but he's a sideline announcer for the Vikings and a former player. I know Greg just a little bit, I'm not trying to name drop here, but I said, I see Greg once in a while and both Greg and I, we just pray for you and we're just thankful for you and what you do and how you serve 
the state of Minnesota. And he was just like moved. So, the, you know, a couple pleasantries later, he left and went on stage, celebrity Paul Allen, I'm nobody, and he raised money at that event as only he can do. Praise God. So afterward, I went home and I handwritten letter to Paul Allen. I sent it to the station, sent him a copy of this book, which is a book of his inspiring faith stories called Faith Unexpected. And I said, I'm not looking for a friendship. I'm not a celebrity chaser. And I quoted Psalm 23 in there and just said some nice things to him and said, I'm just going to keep praying for you whenever I hear you on the radio. Okay, so a year later, I'm at the same hotel, at the same NFL fundraiser, and I run into Greg Coleman. Again, Greg and I are not close friends, just enough to say hello. And I said to Greg, hey, I've been praying for Paul all year, and I know you have as well. How is he doing? And Greg came up to me, and he's sort of a demonstrative guy, and he put his finger on my chest, and he goes, he is on fire. <laughs> really? What do you mean by that? He has found the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, fast forward another three years, and I go to this podcast. I hear about this podcast called Faith and Goal. So in the football world, it's first and goal. Well, Paul Allen now has a podcast called Faith and Goal. I'd recommend it to you. And on Faith and Goal, he tells faith stories, and he tells his own story of how he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and became a Christian three years ago. Well, what part did I, as sort of this not famous, non-celebrity little evangelist who climbed out of a boat one day, what part did I play in Paul Allen's conversion? I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I do believe that evangelism is a team sport, that there was a Silas and a Timothy, and there was a Luke, and there was a John Mark somehow involved in Paul's life. And you can go on the podcast and hear some of the people that shared the Lord with him and invited him to church. And Greg Coleman was one of them. So those guys are pals. And God used different influences in Paul's life to bring him to faith. And this just all reminds me that, well, now everything has changed for him, but it's changed for us as well. Now, evangelism, if we really have a theology of witness that God goes before us, that theology means that we're no longer in the business of selling Jesus to people. We're no longer in the business of imposing our beliefs on other people. We don't have to be worried anymore about the political climate of our country before we open our mouth to share Christ. Because God is the one who's doing his work, and my first job isn't even necessarily to open my mouth and share the gospel. My first job is research. My first job is to discern what God is already doing in the lives of other people, like Paul Allen, and then ask a question, then get involved, then take a risk. So Friday night... Uber, I was Ubering at home from Montana, well, from the airport. And, you know, a lot of the Uber drivers are uh, Muslims. And so I brought that up. I thought, I, I need to climb out of the boat here. I'm off the clock. They're not paying me to do this in university right now. I'm off the clock. So I brought up religion and asked him if he goes to mosque. And the 
conversation continued from there. It just means taking a little risk to get involved with what God is doing in the life of the other person. So it's not so much that I'm bringing Jesus to people. Rather, I'm discovering Jesus in people. You get there and you say, oh, Jesus got here before I did. That's exciting. How can I participate in what he's already doing? And usually that means climbing out of the boat, taking a little risk, ask a question, maybe say that I go to church or that I read the Bible or that I'm praying or that I'm a person of prayer, man or woman of prayer, something like that, and just see where it lands and see what God might be doing. There's an art to that, but it's also a community art. We participate in this grand artwork as a community, encouraging one another. And that can be a very, well, it's an adventure living that way. It's an adventure living that way. A year ago, I got invited out to a Harvard Business School and to be the Christian student's uh, evangelism trainer for a weekend. So I went out there and they had rented this huge Airbnb in the hills of New Hampshire and 14 Christian student leaders from Harvard Business School and myself and their university staff, the 16 of us, went to this retreat center for a weekend and we just talked about what would it mean to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ at Harvard Business School. And now these are some high capacity students. I was quite amazed and they were super hospitable toward me. And that's what they did. After we talked about this theology of witness, they embraced it. And so they spent the year discovering what God is already doing at HBS and participating in his work. And I just talked with their university staff the other day. He said they had a good year of witness at HBS, where you can imagine there could be quite a bit of hostility to the gospel. And that's, that's the model that I really want to suggest to you. So if you feel like you've been quiet in witness for a long time, um, <laughs> you know, getting started is hard. If you do it a lot, the 11th time is a lot easier than the 10th. And the 15th is a lot easier than the 8th. And the 20th time is a lot easier than the 15th. The more you do it, the easier it is. And the less you do it, the harder it is to get started. If I've been quiet about the Lord for a couple of weeks, man, it takes some prayer and some effort to overcome the barrier <laughs> and to get out of the boat and walk on the water. It takes faith. and It's hard that first time, but the second time is easier. And the third time is easier. And the 10th and the 50th and the 100th. And for those of us who do this a lot, the 500th time, it's, it's just feels way more natural. And you start to develop these eyes for any situation that you're in. So when I'm at the golf club or I'm on campus, you just start looking or in a restaurant, start looking for opportunity. Because it's not me that creates the opportunity, it's the Lord who opens the door, as Colossians 4, 3 said. And when the door is open, to change the metaphor here from a boat, <laughs> When the door is open, what's, what's my job? Walk on through. 
If the door is not open, don't kick it open, okay? We've done too much of that in our past. We've got a bad reputation. Never kick a door open. We have this class upcoming here. It starts in a few weeks. So October 16, 23, and 30, and then a fourth to debrief and assess the speaker, I'm sure. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, well, how do you do discernment? What is that process of discerning and discovering God's work in the life of other people? We're going to talk about what it means to take risks. And take risks, not just the risks that I would take, but the risks that you would take, given your personality and your profile and how the Lord has made you. What are your risks look like. I tend to be a fairly big risk taker. You might not be as big of a risk taker as me, and that's okay. You don't have to be to get something from this class. We'll talk about conversation skills. Once you get in the conversation, what do you say? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about front door, side door. You don't know what that is, but the side door is a certain way to approach conversation it kind of gets things going, and then you end up in the front door. And what would the difference be? And when would you go through the side door? And when would you go through the front door? We'll talk about learning to ask good questions. You'll learn a gospel, a summary of the gospel that you can share with another person when that time comes. We'll talk about how to use Scripture to bring other people to faith. That's the most powerful tool that we have. Uh, I'll teach you the three-step invite. Three steps to inviting a friend to an event that are way more effective than the invitations we normally give to inviting other people. And these are all uh, trainings that we use on campus, uh, mainly with graduate students that I'm working with these days. So I hope you'll sign up. I hope it's not just me in the class and Andrew, maybe. <laughs> And especially, I want to encourage you, if you've been inactive in evangelism for a while or hesitant or scared or if those barriers we talked about earlier uh, feel real to you, love to have you in there. And we're going to do it as a community, uh, an encouraging community. So uh, we have some books that uh, Sharon and I brought and that Sharon will be um, selling in the back. And I don't know, do you call it a foyer? What is that? the lobby, <laughs> and we encourage you to uh, check those out. The blue one is Faith is Like Skydiving. That's the blue book, and it coaches your conversations and answering people's hard questions. And then this book is the one I gave Paul Allen, uh, Faith Unexpected. It's just inspiring faith stories that you can give to a friend who doesn't yet know Christ. And there's a certain story in here that uh, is this woman named Sarah McKendall. McAllister College, the early 90s. And she met this guy named Andrew Gross. And uh, things progressed for her spiritually and progressed for her romantically. And her story is told in here. And you know what? All the people that talked to Sarah of the early 90s, God got there first. Because I got to hear Sarah's story firsthand. And I, well, I saw it unfolding. And then she retold it to me so I could put it in the book. And God got there first, so that when other people like Andrew and Jonathan and their friends came in and shared Christ with Sarah, the Lord had already opened a door for witness. And that's what we're talking about here. That's a theology of 
witness. So let's pray together, and I believe the worship team has some ways for us to respond to today's message. Lord Jesus, I just think of my younger days when I was trying to bring you places. Let's see, those people don't have Jesus. I do have Jesus, so my job is to bring Jesus to those people. And I regret those days. Lord, now I've learned these last, I don't know, decade or maybe more, that you're already there. You're already doing the ministry of witness. And you are beckoning me and beckoning the good folks here at BCF, Lord, to enter the realm of your work, to enter the place where you're already doing ministry. You're already the, you're the chief witness, and we're the junior partners. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, faithful and responsive to what you're doing out there. Help us to know what our Macedonian call is. And I pray that you'd uh, give us the courage to <laughs> uh, step out of the boat, take a risk, walk on the water, join you in what you're already doing. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Lord, we, we do pray that you would break our hearts with what breaks your heart. We, we want to be kingdom-minded. Lord, we, we know that you're already out there doing your work. We know that you have already gone before us. And <laughs> Lord, it's not in our hands. It's in your hands to draw people to yourself. And we, we want to we ask that this uh, discernment that Rick has exhorted us to do and this, this risk that he's exhorted us to take, we, we ask for grace to discern your spirit moving ahead of us, and we ask for the grace to take that risk. So we pray, God, that you would give us supernatural power as we leave here today to be your witnesses and to make disciples of all nations. Lord, as, as, as we leave here, grant us the same power that was with Jesus as he marched forth into the world to proclaim your kingdom. Be with us now, we pray. So may the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, may the fellowship, the dear fellowship of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the approval and blessing of God the Father go with you from this place as you, as you leave to make disciples of all nations, as you follow Jesus into witness. Amen.